Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one songs in Australia throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Pump it up, Prince. (laughs) Casey Atkins. Hello, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Well, yo, are you ready for me yet? (laughs) (laughs) Ah. It's been a it's been a while for us. We've been doing this, and uh, we've we've taken a bit of a break. We uh, we recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago, and and now we're sort of back into what uh, we usually do, which is go through the number one songs throughout the nineties. And we are starting in nineteen ninety four. Five songs through nineteen ninety four, which will take us uh, pretty much exactly to one third of our little project. So mm. yes, uh, we have five songs to talk about tonight, and I think we might as well just get right to it. So. This song was number one for one week from the 15th of January 1994, and this is Boom Shake the Room by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Yo, back up now and give a brother room. The fuse is lit and I'm about to go boom. Mercy, mercy, mercy me. Oh, my life was a cage, but on stage I'm free. Hyped up, psyched up, ready for wildin'. start with this one tim coyle why don't you tell us how you feel about this song well will smith was about to conquer the world in early 1993 i I really love the fresh prince of bel-air as i think most of my classmates did and the theme song to that has taken on pretty iconic status and i loved it it was it was almost the best thing about the show which probably mm. doesn't say a great deal about the content of it, that the, the the theme song was the best thing about it. But the theme song was great. This song I really liked at the time, and it was it was a big deal amongst classmates. Um, yeah, everyone was very much into it. Uh, and it was, a, it was a little bit of a, a change from the character of the Fresh Prince and also the, the theme song, to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is what most people knew him by at that stage. This was a bit more aggressive and a bit more macho. Mm. And I really liked it at the time. Listening to it this week, it's still, I thought it was okay, but yeah, it doesn't shake the room a lot. I found the production kind Mm. of a bit lacking, a little bit thin in places. And yeah, given that... We, we listened to Bobby Brown's Humping Around quite a few weeks ago, and that sounded ultra-modern and could have been Huge. put out last week, yeah. and it would, it would have sounded fine. Uh, this was just, yeah, what's, what's going on? This sounds like it was made in 1989 or yeah. thereabouts. So, yeah, decent enough. Casey, do you look like you said look you look like you agree. Yeah, um couldn't agree more, actually. Um I loved it then and it's um again Fresh Prince of Bellingham. And we've spoken about that um Fresh Prince theme song a little bit. Um and this I thought was great and um I've talked about 
I think we all have a little bit talked about school discos and this is one of those songs that you just got into at a school disco when it came up because it had that distinctive move as well that you all did, which is <laughs> um, acting out now, which is no good for an audio-only podcast. Describe for us, Casey. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the clip. We'll post it on the blog. Um, and again, this week, I yeah, exactly what, what Tim said. I just, it didn't get going. It wasn't as big and huge and room shaking as I remember it being to the point where I actually searched through remixes and stuff, trying to find the version that I remembered, but the version that was, you know, you know, the main single version was, was what I was all that was really there. And, um, and yeah, it's just a bit, a bit weak. It's okay. It's a bit weak. Tim Byron. I reckon this is easily the best of the rap singles we've covered so far. Wow. Better so than Young easily. MC. Better than Young better MC. Better than Young MC. Better than Young MC. Re- oh, okay. Yep. So e- easily the best of the rap singles we've covered so far. Like for me, it's just a total joy to listen to this. It's just like there is a hook in every single line in like, you know, that you can't, you don't, he doesn't go like two lines in a verse without coming up with something that in another song could be the main hook. You know, it's, this is like lists and lists of these kind of things, list, you know, going through the songs. Everything seems to be a hook in this song, and I listen to it and I can hear all the big hooks. Um, I, I do hear what you're sort of saying about the production of it. It's got that kind of uh, that kind of Terminator, Terminator X Bomb Squad kind of production, like a Public Enemy kind of Ice Cube-ish kind of thing, and it's a bit, it's a bit sort of dated for 1994 because that stuff was more 1991, and um, I think the nature of that kind of production, possibly it's the kind of thing that, um, it needs a good remaster and like to bring out the kind of bass and the thump of mm. it. because yeah, like you guys, I remember this, like at school discos, this was shaking the room and like, you know, everyone jumped and up and down and it, it felt good. And, um, yeah, listening to it now, it's not quite like, that's not quite there, but not to an extent that I care. <laughs> like, and so like, I, I listened to it and it's got all the cool lines here. How do I know? Because the crowd went, oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, hello. (laughs) Good evening. So, so yeah, I thought it was great then and I think it's great now. Danny, what do you think? Uh, I'm more with Tim Byron than anything else. I think this is a fantastic song. I I really, this is one of those things where I rediscovered this song when I put it on my iPod. I clearly remember around 2007 or eight. I was working at a place that did compilations. We did a compilation with this song on it. I just checked my iPod, didn't have it, ripped it, put it on there, and then I went on holidays, and then it just came on in my recent playlist. And I just remember walking around the streets of, I think, Prague or somewhere and just going, this song rocks. I haven't heard it in 10 years. And, uh, yeah, it's so great. I I think Young MC for me pips it, but it's definitely better than MC Hammer and all that sort of stuff. It's so fun. And I... Don't know, maybe maybe because I've got it right in my ears in my iPod, but, like, I do jump up and down to this, and I'm happy to jump up and down to this and dance. And, uh, like, when I'm walking down the street this week listening to it, I was, yeah, it was like listening to a Jay-Z record. I was walking with basketballs under my arms just going, yeah, this is fucking <laughs> awesome. So, you know that bit, like, where you will do what we do to tell you what's yeah, up. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I thought that sounded like Chris Cross. Yeah, yeah. Going, um, we get a, we get a, we get a, we get a, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Apparently, what he's he's rapping there is, your women don't want me to tell you to tell you to tell you what's up. Go. 
Go. Well, I um I only realised that it was go. I thought it was yo when I listened to it, but then I realised it was go when I looked at the video clip this afternoon because go flashes up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> because the guy who made the video clip, that's the only word he could hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, look, so Will Smith, uh, he actually, I think, is doing a pretty fantastic job here. Um, doing the rap. Like, I mean, he can rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely can. And like um, Tim Coyle said before, like, this is not his usual style of thing. He's doing a much more like macho kind of aggressive kind of thing in this song uh, than what he's, than pretty much everything else he'd done. And I think he was feeling the pressure at this particular time to try and, um, you know, get kind of, you know, I think a lot of the pop rap guys were feeling this pressure. It was about the same time as now that um, MC Hammer put out Pumps in a Bump, which is, you know, <laughs> awful yeah. like it, 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 are, we posted it on the blog somewhere we did post it and yeah, it, was it was bad dreadful. but it, it had that same kind of sound as this that kind of posts like gangster rap kind of thing and i think will smith was trying to do that and um he he, he didn't get there i mean like it, it's just not him it, it, it's not his style it's not his thing but he's so kind of likable and charismatic he kind of gets away with it anyway oh but there's so much attitude in it as well though there's still like it's got all the bravado in the world. It, it does, but it comes across more as cheek than yeah. assholishness, which, yeah. is, yeah. which is good. It's yeah. just he manages to carry it and carry it in his own way. You guys see DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith reunite on the Graham Norton show? Yes. Yeah. With Will Smith's son. With Will Smith's son and Carlton from The Fresh Prince. Oh. <laughs> um, and it was disappointing. I remember watching that clip and knowing that that was what was supposed to happen and they didn't do this song. They did the Fresh Prince. They did the Fresh Prince yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, and I remember having this clear thing of going, they should have just played that song. Like, they, because mm. that is the DJ Jazzy Jeff Fresh Prince song. But it's yeah. not. And it was, the, wasn't that a huge hit? Like, that's the song that they're known for. No, in the US, this was like a number 17 or something. In the US, the, the two songs that they're probably best known for are Parents Don't Understand and um, Summertime. But for, oh, right. but for us in Australia, this was by far his biggest hit. Because they've been making records since the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, yeah, they were almost 10 years in at this stage. So he wasn't, uh, like, before he, wasn't he was the Fresh Prince. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, he was, well, no, he was always the Fresh Prince, but before but they... In a DJ sense. Yeah, or but no, before they sense. made a TV series about it. He was now the approaching used-by date Prince. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, like, um, this is what I was going to talk about. So he was... Build as the Fresh Prince on this song, and I always just assumed that was off the back of the TV show. Was he? The TV show was off the back of um, DJ Jesse Jeff and the Fresh Prince, who'd been around since like as, as a group since like the 80, 87 or so. The TV really? show was like 90, 91. Like, because they were big, oh, they were huge MTV, like, they were one of the biggest uh, rap acts on MTV in the late 80s in, in the mm. US. There you go. So I, I did not know that, and I just assumed that the TV show came first. I didn't realise that the the persona, the Will Smith persona of the Fresh Prince, preceded the TV show. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Oh well, there you go. Do we like Will Smith? I don't have a problem with Will Smith. You know, he's just he's become um, just a guy that's in all of those like Michael Bay esque movies now, like. I'd well, that last one with the apocalyptic kind of stuff and his son. Oh, and another like, Earth. Yeah. Apparently, the overtones of Scientology, apparently. But even from, um, from, Independence, from Independence Day, it's kind of been that sort of vibe for him, really. 
what is interesting is that for a while there, and I remember this because I was, was working in, in, in uh, yeah, he was in independence. I was working <laughs> in record shops and stuff like that, and I would be selling singles from new Will Smith movies that he did, like Wild Wild West or Many <laughs> um, Black. Many Black was yeah. the other one, with I think. It. Yeah, and yeah. and they would like, and he was sort of doing that double thing, like you have him star, and then he'd do the fun theme song with the fun film clip and all yeah. that sort of stuff, and then uh. And then, then somewhere he took a turn, I think, around the time he did um, the Muhammad Ali movie where he tried to be a serious guy. And then he's sort of not done music since from my... Like, he might have been. He might have been releasing albums for the last couple of years, for all I know. But, yeah, I don't think anyone's yeah. waiting for one. <laughs> he had a number one single in Australia in 2005 with a song called Switch, which I don't think I've ever heard. Switch? No. Switch. Is no. that from... I, I assume that's from a movie, too. Is it from the movie Hitch? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Possibly. No, yeah. No, it's from an album called Lost and Found. But look, yeah, we'll put it up on the blog as well. It is, um, yeah, I, I think he's such a just nice guy, but sort of anonymously so. Like, I yeah. But he's, he's one of the biggest stars in the world. He gets paid so much money, and I don't mm-hmm. think he needs to try to make do, do anything to really prove himself anymore. So, I mean, for me, he's always going to have the goodwill. Of yeah. the Fresh Prince stuff. That yeah. It's just... Goodwill. Goodwill. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he, he'll always have that. And yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, look, my, my mother-in-law lives next to Bel Air National Park, so whenever my wife and I arrive at Adelaide Airport, get into a cab and I just scream, yo, home to Bel Air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. What do, you, what do you say to the taxi? No one else agrees with me on that. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get my kicks out of it. There's some interesting lyrics in this song. I'm curious what you all think about this. Um, the, the very sort of last lyrics um, in the song before the last chorus is, um, many have died trying to stop my show. I came here tonight to hear the crowd go boom, shake, shake, shake the room. I, um, I, I noticed that. I wonder how I many people have actually died trying to stop him <laughs> having like a, a show. Maybe he's talking about the aliens he killed in Independence Day. <laughs> just like Possibly. The, I just like this idea that DJ Jazzy Jeff is out burying the bodies. He <laughs> <laughs> just admitted it. While Will's yeah. rocking the room. Maybe it's Mary from Hazard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are going to get to the bottom of that one. But, yeah. What other lyrics did you uh, want to point out, Tim Byron? Another one is, um, the Fresh Prince is who I am. So tell my mother, I'll never make a whack jam. <laughs> I, um, I did. I, told, I gave her a ring. I, ga- I gave his mother a call and just <laughs> let her know She's in like, case she was concerned that, uh, hmm. you know, it, it was never going to happen. So it's okay. And what's a whack jam? I'm sure his mother probably just thought it was like a strawberry jam. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, is it? So, is it like when something's whack, and something is bad, and so making a groove? Yeah. Oh my god, this is such a yeah, wild but, conversation. No, but, yeah, but then he, t- then he talks about fumbling every every other word he utters. So yeah, that would be whack. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes. And I think I think that verse in general, like the whole stuttery kind of stuff, is just great. It's like yeah. the my generation of the nineties. Yeah, I I, um, I thought that was really impressive as well. Was, uh, that was the one thing that I really latched onto today. I thought that was nicely, really nicely. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It was, it was well done. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I had a, um, I had a better word in there. Really, for it, but really, uh, really, good. really good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our second song of the night, 
And this song was we number two. <laughs> yes. Oh yes, we oh, have. Oh, I could just go home now and be happy. This song <laughs> was number one for two weeks from the twenty second of January, nineteen ninety four, uh, and it's Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting with All for Love. When it's love you give, So that was All For One by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart and Sting, all three of them together, getting to number one. Tim Byron, how much do you love this song? Are we in this all together? Is it All For One? It's Awful One. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's an awful number one. And, um, oh, f- fucking Brian Adams. <laughs> like... Boom Shake the Room deserved more than one week at number one. And like one of the songs that this fucking song stopped from being number one was the, you know, the excellent, excellent Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Mm. And like, fuck you, Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you feel about the song and not just the songs around it? <laughs> uh, I'm getting a pretty good impression of how he felt about it. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I, I did the research. It's a Brian Adams song written with Mutt Lange and Michael Kamen, and the three of them co-wrote Everything I Do, I Do It For You. And basically, this is Everything I Do, I Do It For You, Mark Three, Mark Two with Please <laughs> Forgive Me wasn't good enough. They had to do it again. And, and like so mm-hmm. soon after the last one, it's like from a commercial, and you know, I, I get it. Like from a commercial perspective, writing the same song three times, the third time you've got to do something different. So he got Rod Stewart and Sting in to distract people from the fact it's still the same fucking song. Except, mm-hmm. like, sung by two singers who are much better than Brian Adams. Like, listening to it, he's really, like, out of his depth. Like, he doesn't sound any good compared to the other two. And it's like... And you see him in the video clip and he just, like, he's kind of sitting there going, ha-ha, look, that's Rod Stewart, that's Sting. I'm in the company of, like, you know, great people. And, like, it was just so obvious that, like, yeah, you're not really in that company, Brian, sorry. Uh, Tim Coyle, what company was he in? What the ever-loving fuck. (laughs) (laughs) uh, This song is like the perfect storm of shit. Uh, I mean, you know, who in late 1993, 1994 just got together? You know what the world needs? It needs Sting and Rod Stewart and Brian Adams sending their love down the fucking well. <laughs> and the thing with that is, I can't tell who's crusty. Is it Brian Adams or is it Rod Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> I think Rod Stewart does the better crusty person. Yeah. On the way down. Oh, yeah, when I did a live-action movie, I should be played by Rod Stewart, yeah. <laughs> 
That needs to happen. <laughs> but oh my god, it just it, this song is just relentless in just how awful it is, and everything from the oh, the hokey lyrics and the really bad guitar bits and that awful chorus with that awful harmony and just uh, it just never stops. <laughs> What did you think about it at the time, Tim Coyle? I didn't really like it at the time. And this is the thing. I I, I had it one time, liked all three of these singers. And, yeah, it's just maybe Please Forgive Me was really the definitive break with with Brian Adams, but also, yeah, just inured me to Rod Stewart and Sting, who, yeah, both kind of definitely artists who had their moments, but this definitely isn't one of them. And they'd long, long lapsed into, into awfulness. Casey. (sighs) (laughs) What do you say? I mean, I'd even, I'd like, I'd love to throw out like a, I liked it, you know, just to make people laugh, but I'm not even gonna, um, no, just, you're not going to get anything different out of me for this. Um, I listened to it. I, I, I kept up with my rule of listening to everything once. But, again, it's it's a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy um, and then put into the recycle bin with a whole bunch of other stuff and then made into a new piece of paper and then and then <laughs> that's what you're listening to. Like, it's just it's just nothing. Oh, no, sorry. Is that how you've always felt again, like from the start? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the the way I felt about the other Brian Adams songs that we've talked about at the time just sort of still still stood, and it was just another. And I think I did recall when I did listen to this in, especially in context of some of the other songs coming up tonight, which I, I won't give away. But I, I think I started to feel a bit of a, a move away from liking the top of the charts. At this right. point, okay, you know, um, this was a bit of a um, a real sign that maybe what's at the top of the charts is not really where I want to be hanging around, you know, or not what I want to be hanging around with. Mm. Um, because there, as we're about to discover, there was quite a bit in a row that was making me turn off the TV pretty early on a Saturday morning. I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I- don't hate it as much as you guys, I think. I think... And maybe, why is that? Maybe because it, I feel like it's about a hundred times better than Please Forgive Me. Like, that is just... it's It's got a little bit more than that. What would you uh, rate it out of ten, Danny? You started rating things out of ten three? recently. Three? It's a three. So, um, Please Forgive Me is point three. <laughs> yeah, Please Forgive Me is into the negatives. Uh, <laughs> I believe you gave it a one out of ten. Oh, really? From memory. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's depreciated uh, somewhat in the last couple of Yeah, fair enough. Um, That'll happen. But, you know, it's kind of, like, it's kind of nice to hear, you know, there's just things, like, I mean, I have to say, it's kind of nice to hear Rod Stewart's voice for me, like, in any given opportunity. That guy has written, has been involved in such, so many terrible songs that I can still go, <laughs> oh, well, it's still Rod singing, there's still, that's one. Um, the production of it is not as sugary and it's kind of it's bullshit the single the, the <laughs> production is exactly the same yeah it's it's identical <laughs> i don't know it's, it doesn't sound so uh full on to me and it's sort of i don't know it's not 
But yeah, it's still not any good, and it's not something I listen to. But I feel like out of the three terrible ballads, and out of actually a lot of terrible ballads that we've listened to in this project, it's not the worst, and it's not even probably the worst three. So I'm okay with it. It's just old men doing what they do, and I've heard many, many worse songs than this by all of these artists. So <laughs> uh, that's the thing. And I know we've discussed a lot about Brian Adams, but let's talk about these other artists. Yeah, let's talk about the other ones. I'm kind of sick yeah. of talking We'll also still get Brian another Adams. fucking chance to talk about Brian Adams in, <laughs> later on. Like, his reign of the charts is not over yet. Ah! Oh. So let's start with Sting. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I think the police are fucking great. You know, like, I really... I really do think that there's a lot to like in the police um i like their sound i like a lot of the songs um they had really nice harmony thing going on there i i i like his voice in the police um i don't really have a lot i don't i don't like a lot like much of sting post that but i i do like the police i really like the guitar playing in in the police as well and, I'll, and i'm always really happy to hear the police. Um, so for Sting. that, I will, I can't like full on completely hate Sting. Mm-hmm. That's me. But okay. <laughs> Kim Coyle. Yeah. I like the police as well. Uh, I, I still really like every breath you take. I love SOS. Yep. Great song. Um, love the police's work. And yeah, the appearance on the Simpsons endeared him to me quite yeah. a bit. Because yeah, he, he showed a, fair degree of a sense of humor there and the the payoff on some of those gags was excellent um but yeah his solo career uh, <laughs> just yeah the guy needed to be shot out of a cannon as soon as the police fell apart really mm-hmm. it's his solo career is terrible he was already turning into a giant preachy douche um after after he'd left the police and he was already a humongous douche by the time this was being recorded and yeah couldn't, um, yeah, just couldn't stomach him much at this stage. And, yeah, I think he's been given a little bit of a free pass here because everyone's just jumped on the Brian Adams thing, which, fair enough, Brian Adams wrote it and it kind of fits in that trifecta of awful Brian Adams ballads. But nonetheless, this is Sting at his most execrable. He's scraping the bottom here. And, yeah, this song wasn't above him at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Byron. To quote NWA... Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the police. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Uh, no, I, I don't hate the police, but I've never actually really gotten into them, gotten into them. Like, they've got the singles that are on the radio, and I don't hate them when they're on, but, like, I don't sort of, like, there's nothing in them that kind of makes me, like, want to hear that much more. Like, it's like sort of nice radio music that I don't have much of a connection to. But But you also don't switch it off. Yeah, I, I don't switch it off. JD does. She she can't stand the police and, and Sting. I actually, um, I remember a couple of songs from the early 90s that Sting did that I kind of liked at the time. Um, there was all this time where he was on the boat in the video clip, and I remember seeing that on mm-hmm. Rage and quite liking that. And there was um, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, which had a, a decent chorus. But I think, um, and which were better than <laughs> this piece of shit. But, um, yeah. but yeah, Sting, yeah. Um, apart from that, I actually don't think I've really heard much of his solo stuff. And by the sounds, I'm not missing much, but no, I'm not really that interested in discovering whether I'm missing much. So yeah, 
police, yeah. they're, they're all right, you know. And that's, I guess that's sort of how I feel about actual police as well. Like, I don't hate them per se, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it just went meta. Wait <laughs> yeah. You liked it. You liked it when... Um... They went solo. I don't know what that means. What? <laughs> Security guards? What, what, what would Bianca Peterson just said, go nuts, guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel exactly the same as Tim Byron. I just kind of, I except maybe a bit more negative. Like, I've, I've tried with the police. I've bought a couple of albums. I have a couple of best ofs. And, yeah, there's just nothing that does it for me. But I will tell you why I hate the police. And it's the, the band or the, the um, band, right? Yeah, <laughs> not the constabulary. Um, uh, and with them, it's Sting as well. <laughs> I just hate Sting. I just hate him. Yeah, I think the thing with Sting is, is he's the only person on the planet who makes Bono look like less of a prick. <laughs> and you know what? He's the only person who makes Bono look like Bono's entire life was a series of good haircuts. <laughs> like. You know, like, Steve is just awful. So, okay, well, speaking of great hair, Rod Stewart. Uh, Let's go around the other way. Tim Byron, Rod Stewart. Well, um, on a, on the blog, uh, we review number two singles uh, every so often, every week. And uh, one of the ones we reviewed was Rhythm of oh, My Heart. Motown song. Oh, no. Rhythm of My Heart. Rhythm of My Heart. Sorry, I got to number two. And, Not the Motown song. Bugger. Yeah. And, and that and Motown song... Um, are both pretty good songs, I reckon. Like, um, mm. like I, I did like Rhythm My Heart and I listened to it expecting to hate it and, um, and listened to it and I was like, hmm, this is actually reasonably good. How did Rod Stewart have a reasonably good song in 1991? And so I wrote that this is kind of reasonably good. And then I saw um, later that Tim Coyle had edited the piece to put his stuff in and he had sort of a similar opinion of like, this is reasonably good. And I, I was expecting Tim Coyle to go like, you know, um, you know, hate with the fire of a thousand suns. And so, yeah, Rod Stewart in... 91, we apparently liked quite a bit. Vagabond Heart was a reasonably good album, I guess. I remember listening to it. My mum had it on tape. But, yeah, apart from that, Rod Stewart in, like, you know, he's like Elton John. Like, after 1975, something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trousers stopped letting the trousers stopped letting his uh, balls breathe. Uh, <laughs> just, uh... Tim Coyle. Well, Maggie May is one of my favourite songs, I would. Yeah, it's almost a top tenner for me. I would say right. it's it's up there, and yeah, just so much of that early stuff is is fantastic. And Tim Byron's right after nineteen seventy five, it's yeah um, something. Hey, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> he become he becomes Rod Stewart that we that we know and detest today. <laughs> and yeah, this uh, as I was saying with Sting at this stage, the song was not beneath him. <laughs> and, yeah, we could, can't really, even though he's Rod Stewart and there's a fair degree of goodwill that's stockpiled there, I can't give him a free pass on this. It's mm. just, yeah, this was kind of where his career was. Casey? Rod Stewart was one of those funny ones that I had no idea until much, much later than I probably should have um, about about the Rod Stewart stuff I should know about, you know, mm-hmm. um, about... You know, faces and the the Maggie May era era kind of kind of stuff. So I thought of Rod Stewart for so long. I thought of Rod Stewart as so incredibly naff. 
Um, and I thought of him in the context of this um, All For One song. I liked the Motown song at the time um, and, I, and Rhythm My Heart and songs like that I thought were pretty cool, but I also thought um, that, you know, they were just songs that were around when I was in my, you know, when I was 11 or 12, so, you know, and all of that stuff's naff now. And then I thought it was probably, I was probably into my twenties until I realized about that. Um, the, the 70s, 70s stuff, yeah. stuff that's actually great. <laughs> there and was it, a period of time where Rod Stewart did not suck. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized that, that, um, that, that, that look that everybody was sporting in the sort of, um, early to mid two thousands was just this like carbon, like that haircut <laughs> was just a carbon copy of Rod Stewart in the seventies. I was like, is that, this is all about okay okay that thing where everyone was trying to be the strokes and ended up as rod stewart exactly exactly uh i love rod stewart so and i I think actually danny you were one of the people that that made me actually stop and think oh should i be paying more attention to rod stewart yeah absolutely you were Actually, one of the redeeming things for Rod Stewart in the film clip is that in the film clip, it's pretty obvious in the beginning that he does not give a shit about being here. He's just taking the paycheck. Did you guys watch yeah, the Yeah, film I did clip? watch it this way. So it's, it's this sort of thing where they're in a theatre and everyone rocks up and whoever edited it together has all this footage of Sting and just Brian Adams hanging out and then take, then Rod Stewart rocks up in like a white coat and a white shirt and Sting gives him a little jab of, hey, you're like an hour late. And he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, walks in with his entourage, and for some reason, Ian McLagan from The Faces is standing right next to him. And, he really? gets, and they get, yeah. Is and he on the track? No, I had to look, and he's just he's just there in the film clip, like hanging around. So obviously, Rod's on tour or something. He's like, hey, Ian, I gotta fucking go. Yeah. Do this song with Brian Adams and Sting. It's gonna be a million dollars, but I don't really even want to go alone. Let's go to the pub, have a few pints, rock up late, <laughs> get to meet Sting. <laughs> fucking just do this thing, and then we'll just piss off. And, like, I, that is my imagination of Rod Stewart in the and I hope it's true, because it would fit in with what he does. Rod Stewart is, oh, he's made some terrible songs, yes, but he's made so many good ones, and he's always been just a larger-in-life character doing it. And I love, I love, the, I love the fact that he covered cigarettes and alcohol. Mm. He has no idea who Oasis were. Yeah. And they just, someone just brought him that song and just went, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Go on. Yeah, I think that was kind of the impression I got when I saw it. I was like, you don't really know what you're doing here, do you? Someone has told you that this would be a good idea for you to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but isn't that kind of indicative of Rod Stewart's later career? Someone just gives him a song and says, yeah, whatever. Because he, cause he got onto that bandwagon oh, of doing like old swing the songs. freaking and... American songbook yeah. stuff. It's so god-awful. Uh, yeah, you see, I'm okay with that because some of those songs are A, fantastic and B, completely forgotten and he made the estate of Irving Berlin and Gershwin and that freaking lots of money I'd money. rather him making that money than Bublé yeah and I know but I'd rather the songwriting royalties in the charts go to mm. those classic songwriters than you know Mutt Lane yeah Mutt Lane <laughs> or as we're going to talk about a little later a guy called David Foster so uh, so yeah it was cool and it was like, in the 90s he was kind of yeah, like the, that run of songs, the Motown song, uh, Downtown Train. Um, yeah, sort of Tom Waits. Yeah. yeah. And have I told and you lately? Me, introduced me to Tom Waits. Yeah. Exactly. He introduced me to Tom Waits. He introduced me to Tim Harden. He introduced me to a lot of great artists. So I actually didn't mind that ballad. Um, was it called Broken Arrow? I don't know. Is that what it was called? Who else is going to bring you a Broken Arrow? I don't know. Who else is going to bring you a Bottle of Rain? 
Does nobody else remember that? That was like I don't like it so much now, but I remember liking that at the time. That was one of his sort of ballady things from yeah. the. the it was 90s. the song that came out after the Motown song. Oh, there you go. But yeah, um, your this old heart of mine was uh, in '89. Um, so yeah, look, he's fine. He's Rod. He's the old drunken uncle. He's he's the guy that like you know. <laughs> Bill Nye in almost every like Richard Curtis comedy is pretty much doing Rod Stewart. Yeah, you know, like Love Actually is Bill Nye is unreal. Yeah, exactly, he's, he's the funniest dude. <laughs> so you know, so that's kind of it, and you just it's kind of endearing to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, drunken uncle turns up with a new blonde every Christmas and supports <laughs> a new football team every five yeah. years, <laughs> and tries to be cool with the kids by by singing some of the new songs. And yeah. And so yes, so. Well, I think that's enough. Well, I was going to say nostalgia, but that's not right for this podcast, is it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Our third song of tonight is was number one for four weeks from the 5th of February 1994. And this is Cut and Move with Give It Up. So that was Give It Up by Cut and Move, uh, number one for four weeks uh, in 1994. Casey, I don't think we started with you yet. How do you feel about this song? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> What's it going to be said? I mean, it's it's just a shitty cover of a disco song. And and the other the other thing that I'm kind of weird on with this is that so it's a cover of a Casey and the Sunshine Band song, right? Hmm. And with my name being Casey, growing up, <laughs> growing up, up until the age of, I don't know, 20, any person that I met over the age of 40 would say, oh, Casey, where's your sunshine band? Oh, that got funnier every time. Let me tell you. Um, and so I knew that I knew about Casey and the sunshine band by this stage. And when this came up, as a, as a song, as a single, I was like, oh, God, it's going to start again, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to get worse for a while. And it did. And um, I don't know, it's just one of those forgettable singles. You see how things like this get to the top of the charts, um, especially when you, you know, do the thing that we're doing, you sort of, you know, look at the, the, the charts in uh, chronological fashion, you see where trends go and you, you get in the world of where euphoria are getting to the charts every, you know, um, 
two songs within three weeks or whatever, you, you, you see how things like this get there, but it's, it's pretty well nothing, you know. That's all. I listened to it once this week and I, and I remembered it and I thought, oh, yeah, that, fine, next. Right. Sorry, just before we move on from you, you do know that the guy from Casey and the Sunshine Band name is Casey. Is it actually? Yeah. Well, it's his last name is Casey. Is it? That's like C A S E Y. That might be why that joke was slightly more appropriate from the older from the elders. No, no, no. I mean, it wasn't funnier. (laughs) (laughs) It was just more factually accurate. So, what did you think about Casey and JoJo? (laughs) Well, that's even funnier since I'm married to uh, someone called Joe. so that became really funny at about, at about the time that we got together, but um, then it quickly became not very funny. Yeah, yeah. I had quite a lot of fun putting that on your wedding playlist. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I still find that one a little bit funny. I'll still... <laughs> uh, Tim Coyle. I, I didn't think it could possibly get worse after All for Love, but here we are. And... <laughs> Here's how it looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, you know what this song reminds me of? It reminds me of work Christmas parties. And just um, kind of you walk in and the company has decided to splash out on a band and a band in the eye in the the, the <laughs> brain of whoever's setting this up, the HR department or social committee or whatever, is Two women in much too short sequin dresses, mm-hmm. a big fat guy on guitar, mm-hmm. and a sequencer somewhere, maybe. Yeah. This song in- inevitably gets played yeah. with the women gyrating everywhere, yeah. and you're just kind of standing at the back of the room and it's like, yeah, I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's this song for me. It's just, yeah, kind of inscrutable people in bad suits and office wear making out on a dance floor. Okay. Um, again, I didn't hate this song. It was just kind of fine. And I think it's mainly because the original was fine. You know, that hook is nice and the trumpet thing is kind of nice. Uh, the production of it is terrible. It's dated. And when that guy starts rapping, I want to punch him. <laughs> um, but in terms of a fun little pop song, like if it wasn't for the rapping, it'd be four out of ten because there's a rapping, it'd be one. It's doing what it's trying to do. But as a number one. Well, this is this is an interesting thing to talk about here at this point, which is I don't really think that... I, I guess my experience is songs that get to number one are just by marketing spend or accident. Yeah. There is no real... I put no weight whatsoever into the fact that a song gets to number one means that it's actually any good. We're, we're, we're beyond any pretense of merit <laughs> yeah. here. We're and in a post-good era. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've spent sort of three years writing about number one singles. I have no misconceptions about that either. Mm. Yes. Well, Tim, Byron, where do you stand? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it, it's not rocket surgery, but... um. I um I went and listened to the original and then listened to this one like sort of back to back this week and um the original like I listened to it and I was like wow that's what Daft Punk are doing because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's got it's got that little bit of like electroy kind of stuff the original just in the same way that Daft Punk had that but they're basically disco on that most recent album that's got all the press and get lucky and blah 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 um but like the thing that I think you guys are sort of reacting to negatively that I'm kind of reacting to well in a way. Is that like this? This song seems to me to be the archetypal '90s pop song dance single kind of thing. 
Like, it's got all of the cliches in it, like every single one of them. It's a cover of a disco song that's like strike one. Like, it's got the dude rapping in the middle, and in the video clip, guess what he's not wearing? Is, does he have a does he have a vest and a stupid hat? Yes, and he's not wearing a shirt <laughs> underneath the vest. Uh, like yeah. he's one of those in the video clip. There's that kind of like zoom in, like zoom out, like really rapidly kind of thing yeah. that they do. Yeah. Oh, the two unlimited thing. Yeah, there's, yes. there's yeah. the flowers <laughs> spinning around on the side of the screen in the video clip, like you know, Frangipani yeah. yeah. kind of things, and um, you know, it, it's doing all these kind of cliche kind of things. Um, it's got the it's got the this disco thing, the rap in the middle. To me, it's like there's no more more nineties like dance pop song than this that could ever exist. Like it's like the, the pinnacle of the form. And, um, <laughs> you know, and for me that makes it about like a three or four out of 10, like it is for Danny. But um, yeah, I, I listen to it. And I, I can't hate it. It's just kind of like, you know, pleasant kind of summer, summery pop, I guess. This song for some reason, you know, Tim, you, you said it reminded you of, of, of something, but like, it reminds me of like channel 10, Promos. I think it's been. Something? I think it's been used or in a promos? lot of yeah, a lot of TV advertising and promos and stuff. And it's not the case in the Sunshine version that people are using. It's this yeah. one. Yeah, mm. it's sort of just shorthand for just nice, fun, like sort of thing. Uh, and it's it's very interesting that I watched a video as well on YouTube. The version that I found, someone had written the comment. It was like, ah. Uh, Happy pop song for happy people in happy times. <laughs> I don't know if English was their second language. Like, uh, it's like a Simpsons parody of a Japanese kind of yeah. karaoke restaurant or something. But, you know, we were, we were 13, 14 at this time. And if we were nine, I think, if I was nine, I think I would definitely feel very different about this song. It would have just been like, you know, I would have had the energy and no, you know, Faculties to understand it critically, and I just jumped up and down to my bedroom to it, and have probably have good memories. What day did this go to number one, Danny? What month? Yeah, what day? February. It, oh, February five. Oh, I was still eleven. Yeah, well, you know. So maybe um, that's got something to do with it for me. Yeah, I'm kind of fine with it. To the disgust of Casey, I think is. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I think by this stage, um, I had so many better things to, to be listening to. And this just fell into the same, um, into the same, I'm going to say heap as um, quite deliberately fell into the same heap as, uh, as euphoria at L. The other thing about this song is apparently it was only a hit in Australia and Europe. Wasn't a hit in the U S wasn't a hit in the UK. So this is like a, a, one of those weird Australian kind of cultural things that we have that people from the U S who listen to this and people from, uh, like a, my friend Katie, who listens to this, is from the US, and she listens, and he's all these weird Australian things that she never heard. So he's another one for her. So where's uh, where are they from? Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they are Euro, Euro right. pop, Euro dance, which might. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I've, I've said it before on this podcast that Euro what works well in that Euro disco scene is songs with very simple English. Things that you yeah. Can just sort of, you know, even though, you know, most Danish people I know speak very, very good English because only 2 million people around the world speak Danish or something like that. But, um, yeah, it just works in those clubs. And, and their education system is kind of awesome. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, Cut and Move, I looked them up today. They had um, some sort of career. But 
Yeah, definitely not someone that touched the charts here in Australia again. So, so which one oh. was cut and which one was move? <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing. Uh, Does anyone actually care? I'm guessing that. I'm guessing the guy with his shirt off thought he was cut. <laughs> <laughs> and the girls decided after they saw that thing, they knew. But I thought I'll let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, you. No, very good. Uh, and <laughs> with that laugh, I'm sure we went 90%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's uh, the cut point. That's the cut point. You get a cut, yeah, no, cut no. Oh, point. Yeah. Oh, it's the yeah. cut point because it's where, yeah. it's where we said uh, cut. And All right, let's move on. Ah! Our fourth song of tonight was number one for seven weeks on the 5th of March. 1994. That's the longest run that we'll be talking about tonight. And this is E17 with <laughs> It's All Right. <laughs> It's all right by E17. <sighs> Tim Byron, why don't you start? I don't even know where to start with this one. I absolutely loved this when I was 12. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought this was the greatest thing. I loved it and I bought the single. Um, it had the B-side, which was the other version, the ballad version. It didn't have the all right, all right. It was just like basically like that bit at the start. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, God. <laughs> God. I, listened to, I remember listening to it at the time and thinking, well, I thought this would be better, but um, <laughs> because because I like that bit at the start, but I realised that listening to it for a whole song, yeah, no. So, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I thought this was great. I thought this was a fun pop song, and I um, I like that kind of mix of, I guess, pretentious epicness that they were trying for, and the kind of boy band thing. I wasn't old enough to to hate at that point, I guess, and um, I don't know. Like for me, it was like you know, it had that nice sort of ballady stuff at the start and then once that was about to get boring it, it did this kind of fun kind of thing with lots of shouty stuff that I could chat along to in my bedroom <laughs> and so yeah what about now <sighs> <laughs> now um uh I mean the thing that I, I listen to and I just laugh and laugh is when he sings let the love of light shine through through <laughs> through yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim Coyle. Well, I, I kind of recall 
kind of liking it at the time, um, largely because girls really liked it uh-huh. at the time. So, yeah, in, in my little 13-year-old mind, this was kind of some roundabout way of connecting with uh, <laughs> members of the opposite sex. It didn't turn out that way, um, <laughs> predictably enough. And, yeah, I, I didn't recall a whole lot about this song before I listened to it this week. I kind of... In my mind, it was something that I'd connected with Unbelievable by EMF insofar as it had that energy to it. Oh, but yeah, definitely. This, yeah. is, this is something that's trying to be that song, yeah. but evidently is not. Uh, what I got from it this week, not much. Uh, we're kind of on a very steep downward curve here as far as quality of songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're, the... The takeaway was the very boy band vocal. It's just a very flat. He's he's just doing what he can to hit the notes and not putting any character in it. And he's got that nasally girl kind of <laughs> classic boy band, non-offensive boys voice. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, it's just... Ugh. Lame <laughs> when you hear it these days, and yeah, um, kind of as I said, we're we're surfing the down curve here, <laughs> Casey. You know, um, whenever there's a guitar song, you ask me whether I learned how to play it on guitar, and whenever there's a piano yeah. song, you ask him whether he learned how to play it on piano. I I learned this one on piano. Oh Ooh. yeah, <laughs> you know, surprisingly, I didn't learn this on piano. <laughs> There you go. Did you learn it on guitar, though? <laughs> yeah. Possibly. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I kind of dabbled. We had a piano in our house, and I sort of plonked away from time to time, and this is one of the songs that I learned how to play back then. Um, so, therefore, I must have liked I did like it. I did like it. Um, on, I think the same level as, as what everybody else is saying. It was kind of fun, and you could... Um, sort of jump around a little bit to it and um, shout out the words and 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 yeah, chicks dug it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a funny one to listen to this week though because I'd actually forgotten that piano line altogether until I put it on. I was like, oh my god, I used to be able to play that. It's gone now, obviously, as I walk over to the piano just before. Um, and I just couldn't. Um, when I listened to it this morning, I, I uh, was just. Uh, one of the things that stood out, it's just basically one thing repeated about six times until it gets to three minutes and then that's it. It's out. There is one thing going on in the song and that's it. It's a fine, it's a hit, whatever. I, I, I don't hate it though at all. I fucking hated this song. Really? I hated this song when it came out. <laughs> I fucking hated it now. It is so shit. <laughs> it is so bad. The epic cry. Like, I feel it, what, like, I listened to it a couple of times, and I just went, oh, like, I hate this song. Um, and then I watched the film clip, and it made me hate it even more. Like, just, like, the fucking epicness of that, like, I don't know what else is on the track. It's just sound, it kind of sounds like just the piano, but it's just in a re, like, it's fucking in a, in. It's a big reverb. Yeah, it's in a silo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's in an aircraft hangar. That some guy's playing a piano, and it just... But, like, the film clip is just got that guy in the spotlight. And unlike Unbelievable by EMF, it's trying to be this anthem of a generation thing. 
But they are the seed of the new breed. And it's and they will succeed because our time has come, Danny. Oh, I just hated it. I just I just hated any like I just hated so much. One of the one of the revelations from the film clip there that I forgot was that seeing that guy with that shit hat and <laughs> dumb face and going <laughs> the guy sings almost all of it and going was he the talent in E17? <laughs> it's Barlow. Yeah, because he wrote the song, like, solo. Oh, well, I hope I hope that he lives that down. Um, well, he had a very public de-pantsing yeah. in the UK. Where, basically, well, he admitted to using using ecstasy recreationally and said in, a, in an interview with the newspaper that taking drugs is awesome. Um, and yeah, kind of cue John Major getting yeah. into an almighty flap about it, uh, about it. And yeah, he was subsequently kicked out of the band because he was just a PR disaster after that. Uh, he was kicked out of the band. Was he still in the band or was he in the band again on the E17 promo oh, tour in Cologne 2012, <laughs> which is their cover photo on Wikipedia? Uh, are they still wearing the beanies? Uh, no, no. Oh, there's no, there's a hat, but no beanies. So one of them's gone bald then. To, to me, the thing with E17 is, um, like, I think the way they were basically marketed was as the edgy, like, lower class take that. Yes, you're right, Tim Byron. They were kind of the Rolling Stones to take that Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> but they were. They were the... With the drugs and everything. ever again. <laughs> I, I, I say this every week, but we are really through the... <laughs> <laughs> If only one of them could have been Brian Jones. Anyway, go on. <laughs> I don't think I can follow that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, let's just quickly talk about E17. Do we, we remember any of their other hits? They yeah, had? totally. House of Love. Uh, I remember a lot better than I remember this, although I remember this quite well. Um, did that do... Better or did that get to number one as well? I forget the the order of them or what came first. I remember House of Love better though. I think House maybe of- it didn't get as high, but it was around for longer or something. How does House of Love go? Because like in my head, I'm hearing it to the tune of "All Right," so I'm hearing everybody yeah. in the House of Love. Yeah, it's everybody, everybody in the House of Love, everybody, every. But then I think it goes. One love, one, one god. god. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what? I'm looking uh, at their chart run in in Australia at the moment. Uh, it's all right. Was their fourth single to get in the top ten? Uh, mm. House of Love was the first. It was a number five. Then there was Deep, which was a number seven. West End Girls, deep, the cover of the Pet Shop Boys, which Pet Shop Boys song, which was the one I think I knew best. Uh, was a number four. This was a number one. And a song called Around the World, which I assume isn't the Daft Punk Around the World, was also a number four. And then after that, <laughs> there was another song after that called Steam, which was a number 18, and a number three called Stay Another Day. So they were a huge boy band for the girls of Australia, obviously. I remember mm. Stay Another Day, yeah. and But that doesn't excuse anything. Um, <laughs> they were a terrible band. I remember they had a... Um, I actually I remember a girl I had a crush on was well into them as well. Going back to the thing that um that that Tim was saying, maybe it was yeah, they were a bit of a, a commodity as far as that was concerned as well. And they had a video. I remember there was the uh, like a VHS tape which was a um you know probably a compilation of their video clips, and it was called Pie and Mash. 
<laughs> just a thing that I remember. Ah, it's so British. I know. Uh, and do we all know what E17 means? Is this a postcode, postcode for yeah. Walthamstow? Yeah, a postcode for Walthamstow. So I, I didn't find that out until uh, I moved to England, and then I didn't. Uh, for the two of you who've lived in England, um, Walthamstow, tell us about it. Is it is it actually a working class kind of place? Or oh yeah, um, yeah, it's it's kind of quite far out on the eastern fringe it's the uh, last stop on the eastern on the- yeah so it's adjacent to tottenham and um that kind of area which has been highlighted in the last couple of years as having experienced a fair degree of disadvantage and there are quite significant social problems there and yeah it's um a lot of pretty famous english people have actually come from that area but um yeah kind of a depressed area these days Mostly footballers? That's historically. Uh, a lot of footballers, yeah. David Beckham is actually from the Walthamstow area, so, yeah. Yeah, he was an original member of E17. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if there is it a depressed area because they're just known as the place where E17 is. <laughs> <laughs> 90% hits. To our last song of tonight, uh, this song was number one for just one week, uh, and this is The Power of Love by Celine Dion. The whispers in the morning Of love and sleep and tight Are rolling by like thunder now As I look in your eyes I hold on to your body And feel it This is warm and tender love that I could not forsake Cause I'm your lady And you are my man Okay, that was The Power of Love by Celine Dion, number one for just one week, although we will see her uh, again, I think maybe even a couple of times before this project is over. So uh, what to say about Celine Dion? Look, I don't I don't really get to start, so I might just start this one off. Go on. Oh, it's a terrible song. Um, and that's about it. Well, it's a terrible song, and it's a terrible song uh, that actually is a lot earlier than I remember. Celine Dion, for me, was a crime that happened in the late 90s, <laughs> you know? And for it to be 1994, I'm not quite sure I connect, like, the songs of 1994, fighting in the charts of Celine Dion, but I guess she was there, and this is where she started, and, yeah, I I honestly think I just didn't even hate the song when it came out. It just didn't even connect. Um, and the closest thing this song came to for me was Enya and it's just so just goes right in one side of my ear and out the other and I didn't hate it I hate it now because mm-hmm. of everything she's become but yeah that's that's me with this song Tim Byron yeah um 
But this one, I guess, yeah, in 94, we didn't realise what Celine would become. And so we heard it and we, we, didn't, we didn't know how bad it would get and how, it, how much it needed to be stopped at this point. <laughs> but, um, I mean, like... <laughs> I just think if only we'd have known <laughs> these like, four dudes could have done something about it. <laughs> but, like, drive around in a van, <laughs> stopping people from riding songs. I have this memory of, like, how in about 1994, like, I had um, a computer like, that, I, that I would use and I would make up my own charts. Like, I would decide, like, week to week, like, what my favourite 10 songs were and, like, I would work out the charts. And, and, like, I would do this in, like, a spreadsheet, Lotus 1, 2, 3, the program, like, from before Excel. So, I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, this is a song I remember putting in the in the top 10 at some stage. It wasn't high in the top 10. Like, E17 would definitely have been much higher than this. But, um, but yeah, it was in there at the time. And so, I guess, like, at the time... I must have saw something in it, or maybe it was just I was too young to have any sense of taste whatsoever, which is possible as well. <laughs> but yeah, like at the time she was just some girl, and so I had this sort of weekly charts thing that I did, and I eventually got sick of that at some stage. But yeah, um, Celine, what do you think, Tim Coyle? Making your own weekly charts? It's like in a bed from community storyline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, what did I think? Um, you don't want to know what I think. Um, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I knew it was pretty bad back then too. And yeah, I, look, this song is not made for, for us. It wasn't made for us as kids. It's not made for us as adults. There's a whole fan base out there for Celine Dion who got this to the top of the charts who this song is for and, look, makes them happy. Great. Um, yeah, I find this kind of... It's that very overwrought... Um, overwrought ballad. The vocal performance really kind of throwing herself powerfully into those notes as though exertion equals emotional depth, that mm. kind of thing that we discuss with Whitney Houston and stuff. <laughs> But the thing is, this is like, you know, is it compared to John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy? This is like her first kill. <laughs> it's, it's, kind, it's kind of, it's sloppy. It's, you know, there's hesitation marks and stuff. It's not the all out gargantuan killer crap that she would come up with at a much later date and not kind of the world ending horror show that things would become. This is just kind of minorly apocalyptic and yeah it's 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 still a holdover from the 80s for me mm. a lot of the guitars and uh, danny's gonna hate me for this but i could see this being a heart song <laughs> lyrics aside just the way that the, the just the way it's put together and the guitar sound and the vocals and stuff like that i can definitely see that and look there's almost something clever in the way it builds and builds and builds almost but that's Almost. Yeah, that's the biggest compliment I can pay. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a fine line between clever and stupid. Ah, uh, Casey. Um, you know, Danny, you said something about this song going in one ear and out the other, um, and, and songs like it. I was really amazed this week at how well I knew it. Like, I only listened to it once, and I knew every single twist and turn of it. I knew the words... I knew where it was going. I knew that it was about to move to the bridge, like little or- orchestration parts of it. I oh, it was, okay. it's kind of 
didn't really know why. It just must have been played so much. Um, I mean, of course, I didn't like it at all. And it was funny, like, this week, and I can talk about it now because we've gotten to all of the songs. Like, I only got around to listening all to, uh, to all of the songs today, and it was this morning when I was dri- driving uh, driving my son to, to where he was going today, and every single song, he was like, Daddy, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, you're right, buddy. You're and really this right. is when we call child services on a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make him listen to, to, to Sublime But even... Even Will Smith, he was like, Daddy, this is a boring song. Like, yeah. um, but no, I, 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 I certainly didn't like it then, but obviously it got in there somehow, like some kind of, like, disease. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and that's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> some kind of infestation. It's in there somewhere, and to listen to it again, it's just all still there. Okay. I mean, maybe you knew the original. Yeah. It's a cover. Yeah, it's a just a it's a it's a seventies. Is it Jennifer Rush or something? Yeah, like Jennifer that, Rush, or? and I think it's like early eighties. It's that kind of um, Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. It's, it's that kind of era of stuff. No, I I, I remember quite specifically the Top Gun soundtrack. Like it's that sort of stuff. It's that kind of. I remember quite specifically the the sound of it as well, and, and pieces of the arrangement rang bell. So I don't think I think it was really this version of it that. Um, yeah, was it for a movie or something? Or was it just... Mm. Like, I'm surprised to hear that it was only around for a week. So, like, knowing how well that I... Or how well I remember it, if you'd have told me that it was number one for, like, 12 weeks, I would have believed you. Right. So, this song in the charts was, like... Like, if I look at the run, like, week to week, it was, like, six, three, two, 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 one, three, three, five, eight. Like so, so it was in the top ten for a long time. So it was just hanging around for for weeks and weeks. I guess just back to the thing Casey was saying. I guess it was just hanging around for a while and just happened to be outshone by E Seventeen apparently. And um, Tim Coyle mentioned just before um, that like about the size of the pile of shit it was. And I think that's the thing. Like um, I, I was listening to it and I was expecting to go in and hear an elephant sized pile of shit. But I only heard like a, you know, a horse sized pile of shit. Like it was still a big pile of shit, but it just wasn't quite as big a pile of shit as I was expecting. We, we also knew what she, we know now what she became, what she went on to. It's like, you know, like I said, first kill. We're, we're now coming from the perspective of we've ripped up the floorboards and there's half the population of Milwaukee under there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of another week, and what a week it was. Now we have to uh, examine the damage and uh, pick out a piece of wreckage. Uh, We choose our favourite song from the list that we've talked about tonight. And just to recap for those who, you know, for some reason just tuning in now, um, (laughs) DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince with Boom Shake the Room, Brian Adams, Rod Stewart and Sting with All for Love, Cut and move, give it up. E17, it's all right. And Celine Dion with The Power of Love. Tim Coyle. Boom, shake the room. Casey Atkins. Yeah, it has to go boom, shake the room. Kind of by default, though, because I didn't even really love that either. <laughs> default. default. <laughs> Tim Byron. Well, obviously, it's boom, shake the room, which obviously the room was so shaken that the next four number ones were just kind of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know if it's because the other four songs were so terrible, but it's Boom Shake the Room. So we actually have, thanks to default, a unanimous... Uh, <laughs> it's happened before. I know. Is, mm. is this the worst week we've done so it, far? Possibly. Quite possibly. I, no, actually, let's go with definitely. I think it's definitely the worst week we've had. It's like Brian Adams and Celine Dion in the one week. Yeah. Kind of Canadian... Quinella, yeah. <laughs> or you know, as far as shit is concerned, it's like playing Maradona and Pele at the same time. <laughs> Casey Atkins, you want to tell people where they can find us on the internet? Uh, absolutely, um, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, and you can email us at Gmail. We are ninety um, percent hits, percent spelled out in words in all instances. Another social media presence we have is Tumblr, which is also 90% hits with um, 90 spelt in numbers and percent hits spelt out in words. Um, on the Tumblr, it's mostly uh, Tim Coyle and I and a bit of Casey and a bit of Danny. Uh, we do sort of in-depth reviews of different songs and we'll, we'll find the follow-up single to the to the one-hit wonder and like review that and we'll do like, you know, reviews of the number twos of the time so we'll get a chance to talk about shoot, goddammit. <laughs> And yeah, and if you, we have the ability to have comments on that. So if you want to leave a comment, we'll read it and, and reply to it. And it's cool. There's been some good comments recently. Um, you know, Robert's one was good. I enjoyed that about the baseline in uh, Are You Going to Go My Way? So Danny, um, tell us about iTunes. Obviously, you can find us on iTunes. But more importantly, if you could leave a message and uh, rate us as well, it helps us being fu- be, to become visible on iTunes. And that's great. We do read all the comments on the blog, on the email uh, and on iTunes. So please write to us. We, we love when people do that and telling us what they think of our blog. We still don't have a sign-off, and I will give someone... Well, we have a a big prize pack full of 90 CDs and merchandise that we can give away to whoever can give us a sign-off message, so uh, we can't wait to start seeing them come through. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, until we do come up with that sign-off, thank you for listening. When I had my first CD player when I was 12, my mum worked for um, the local paper in Tamworth and she got given a lot of stuff. And um, and there was like a CD going about that somebody could just, who wants this CD, they can take it home. And mum went, oh, Casey's just bought a CD player. He's only got two CDs. He probably wants another one. And put it <laughs> home. And it was, it was the self-titled Celine Dion albums are the one before this. <laughs> so I... I heard the self-titled Celine Dion album, like, in full probably a number of times because I owned it. Isn't that a strange thing? <laughs> that is. Was there a big change in sound between the self-titled debut and this? No. <laughs> Did that have um, Beauty and the Beast on it? Did she do that? Yep. Yep. Yes. Oh, it's the her version of the song that was used in the film. Yeah, the, the, that Angela Lansbury did in the film. Oh. Well, her version was the single, wasn't it? Yeah, it was with Peebo Bryson, who had the awesome name Peebo. <laughs> Peebo Bryson. Angela Lansbury was a teapot, and she sang it in the film. 
Huh? Do you not remember that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, this is weird because, like, we're obviously right at the end of the podcast and, like, the, the mood is just dead because we just had to talk about fucking Celine Dion for so long. Yeah. Uh, I think we...